Hey there, Freedom Fighters. I got a repeat guest here today. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of real entrepreneurs who like to follow along and see how other people are doing it to get ideas for themselves and to get, frank, frankly, just freaking fired up. Joining me is Dominic Wells. I interviewed him, what was it? It wasn't even that long ago. It was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. feels like it was long ago, but also time has flown super fast. Yeah, I felt it was long ago. And then I was like chatting with you in preparation for today. And I saw, no, it was just like you and I were chatting about the last interview back in 28, uh, 2018. So not that long ago, but here's the deal. You changed so much since then. Back then, Dominic Wells was building websites from scratch. He was adding some revenue to them. He was adding some, a teeny bit of marketing from what I remember and then selling them. Basically, it was a business in a box. He creates the business. He gives it to you. It's got something there. You need to now put effort to grow it. And he was selling it first on marketplaces. Then he said, you know what? I think I just need to go direct to customers and teach them why this makes sense. And then that business was going well. And then suddenly I lost track of him. But I saw him on Twitter talking about buying businesses. And I messaged him on Twitter and I said, Dom, are you buying these businesses for other people? Are you buying them to flip it? What's the deal? He goes, no, no, I'm buying them. I'm accumulating these businesses. I'm improving them. That's my new model. I said, how did he get there? How many businesses did he buy? I asked him, how many businesses do you have at this point, Dom? I think back then it was about 45, but we've actually downsized. So it's about 30 now. So Onfolio is the company that's buying all these businesses that he launched. I invited him here to talk about how he, why he made the switch, how this business is growing. And then frankly, Dominic, I got to tell you that I've been thinking maybe I should be doing this. Maybe I should go on one of these marketplaces, buy businesses adjacent to Mixergy, put some Mixergy traffic, energy, attention to it, right? And then make it available to my audience, not as a flipping situation, but as a building situation. I want to basically pick your brain here to learn from you. And get this, I get paid to do that. I get paid by two phenomenal sponsors that will hopefully excite my audience. And if they don't, they're not going to be my sponsors anymore. So here's the deal. The first is HostGator for hosting a website. If you need one, you already know people, you should be going to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, you probably don't know, and I'm going to introduce you to this new email marketing company that will change everything for you. They do things right. It's called sendinblue.com. Well, send in blue, but if you go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, you'll get to use them for free, but I'll talk about those later. Dom, good to have you here. Let's talk numbers. And we know how many businesses you have. What's the revenue for this collection so far? Uh, in 2020, we did about just shy of a million dollars revenue. Okay. Profitable? Yeah. Yeah. We made about 150K profit. And the reason you could be this open is because you're taking the business public. You can go public at this stage? Yeah. <laughs> I get that question a I lot. I had no idea. Um, yeah. It's, it's usually not worth people's time to go public at a small stage, either because, well, it's it's expensive or because I think people just don't know that you can. Um, but you can. And we, part of our strategy is to grow as fast as we can. And so we basically believe that we'll actually grow faster as an already public company than doing it the other way around. And the way it makes sense for a business, the reason it makes sense for a business like yours is because you want to be able to offer cash for the companies that you're buying, but also have the option to give them equity. And if they're going to buy equity in, in a private company, it's a lot less exciting than having one equity in a public company where the valuation is more public and people and more investors have a chance to weigh in on it and where they have more liquidity, right? 
Yeah. And it's not even about exciting. It's like if we're a private company and we, we want to buy a business and we say, hey, we can give you shares in the company. I mean, as a seller, you're like, well, are those shares going to be worth anything in the future? Are you going to, am I going to be, are they going to be liquid? Am I going to be like, are you just giving me nothing like some sort of phantom thing in exchange for cash? Whereas if you're publicly traded, they can go, they can literally Google your stock symbol. They can see that it's real. They can look at the the growth and try and figure out whether that's better for them than cash. Um, and then you can also, you can do the same with talent recruitment as well. You can, yep. you know, you can go out there and just really excite people to work for you. The the way that I've understood that companies at your size used to go public was through buying a shell, buying a company that basically was gone and still had publicly uh, available stock. And you would buy that company, you'd get their stock symbol and breathe life into it. Is that what you're doing? Does that still work? That's not, yeah, that's not what we're doing. I think that does still work. Uh, you see it quite a lot up in Canada as well, like a lot of reverse mergers. Um, we're doing a direct listing, which is basically, I mean, some big companies have done it. I think Spotify did a direct listing, but it's basically yeah. where as part of the IPO, you don't issue any additional shares. You've already got your shares and you just list on the exchange. Um, we're doing that because I'm working with someone in exchange for equity who specializes in taking public, uh, companies public that way so it like it saves hundreds of thousands of dollars in costs for us which makes it basically makes it viable what i like about you going public is every time i've asked you questions before the interview started you gave me the answer and then i said can i talk about it publicly or are you just like talking with me and you said no we're going to be public so it's not like i could hide this, this stuff people are going to know our revenue people are going to know what we own so let's take one of the businesses and just understand what you do by understanding what you did to that business. And then I'll, and then I'll come back and see how you started accumulating these companies, what I can learn from your experience and so on. But before we started, you said that there's a fishing com or fish company that you acquired. What's the fish company? Yeah. So it's, it's fishkeepingworld.com. So it's, it's about fish in the sense like uh, aquariums and tropical fish and okay. pet fish rather than, like fishing as a sport. A content site. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I see it right here. It looks like it's what WordPress or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it looks like it's, <laughs> it was built 10 years ago, but it works. So we haven't, we haven't rocked the boat too much. Since I don't have we, a problem with it. It's straight it. up. You've got a bunch of blog posts and then, so what was it when you acquired it? What was it like? Um, cosmetically, it was pretty similar. Like it had, it had display ads. It had, the, the WordPress theme that it has now, um, it got less traffic. I think when we acquired it, it was getting around 700,000 page views a month. So it was pretty big. Uh, whereas now it gets about 1.1 million. Okay. Um, and then it was making, I think around 12, yeah, around $12,000 a month from display ads, whereas now it's making about 20000 a month. Uh, but that's mostly because the traffic's increased. And that was all it, all it really had going on. Where did you find this site? Uh, we bought it through a broker. Um, okay. So they just, you know, we saw it, we liked it and went from there. All right. And so what did you, what did you like about it? And then we'll understand what you did to grow it. Um. I liked in the content space, there's a lot, there's a lot of like sites which kind of focus on stuff, which is really competitive kind of flavor of the month, like 
I don't know, like drones or something like that. And I think those are quite competitive. And if you look at the sites, they tend to fluctuate in terms of their fortunes. Whereas this site was kind of about a much more boring topic. I mean, obviously not boring for the people who visit the site every day, but like for the average person, it's you don't get excited about owning a website about fish. Um, and it already had substantial amounts of traffic. And so we realized, okay, we it's got a lot of meat on the bone. Um, and one of our philosophies is also we want to buy sites where you can build an audience around that topic and um, you can get repeat visitors and people will be upset if the website goes offline because they were like, oh, hey, I like, you know, I visited that site a lot. Whereas if it's just like a generic, well, sticking with drones, for example, if it's just a site that just reviews drones, people are just going to go there, read a review, and then probably never come back again. Um, so we liked the fact that it had this, we could build a community around it. And um, in the past, I kept Petfish as well. So it just made me, like I knew, like, yeah, people are going to be Googling problems, like why is my fish swimming upside down? Or <laughs> like, so what's you know wrong what? with my fish's fin? I had this sense that these types of sites were dying because people don't return to websites for content. They come back to their favorite YouTube creator for content. Something like this would be a natural for TikTok where, or, or if it's questions like, why is my fish swimming upside down? Uh, it's sites like Quora that would take it. Basically, the platforms I thought were eating the world. Why didn't you think that that was true? Um. I mean, I think I think that's right. I think those those platforms definitely get traffic. Um, in this one, I mean, we can see it every day in the Google Analytics. I think something like fifty percent of the site's visitors are returning visitors. So we don't know exactly how many times they return, but you know, it's at least once. Um, so there's another thing as well is that when the traffic is that large and you can build an email list, then you kind of have the ability to bring people back to your site every day anyway. Um, so I'd say you're right, but it's not like, it's not a binary thing. It's like, yeah, people are going to those uh, platforms, but they're also still going to websites and reading long form content. Okay. And so I guess also Google search is a platform and the way to participate in their platform is by creating blog posts on your site, which is a nice platform to play with. So that's what, that's what you got into. I see one of the things that you added to the site. I've been going through the Internet Archive. When I tried to move away from the site today, there's this, this like page takeover with a progress bar at the top that's moving that says 90% of the way done and says free cheat, free, free cheat sheet for you. Learn exactly which freshwater fish to put in your tank. Normally $19. That $19 is crossed off. Now says free. And all I have to do is enter my email address. And basically what you're doing is adding basic email marketing techniques to it. Was that there before or that's one of the things that you've added? That particular pop-up, something we added, yeah. I think when we took over the site, they said the sellers had an email list of like 3,000 people and they had a very basic opt-in form at the bottom of every post, just like, hey, enter your email address to get this guide about fish. And so the site was getting like, five or 10 subscribers a day, which is pretty poor for the, the amount of traffic it was getting. And so we started adding in like, yeah, like classic email marketing stuff, like uh, lead magnets, better pop-ups, things like that. And 
within a short period of time, it was getting about 150 email subscribers a day. So we ah. basically 10x to the subscriber rate. And then what's the advertising uh, growth or the revenue growth on that site? What did you do? What was it like uh, before and what did you take it to? Yeah, it was it was doing about 12 to 15,000 a month when we bought it, but we bought it basically right at the end of Q4 when the advertising revenue is normally at its highest. Um, and now in Q1 2021, it averaged about 20K a month. So it's gone up. Well, what what did you do to 50%. get that? That's significant. What did you do to get it to grow? Uh, two things. One is we just grew the traffic and you know more traffic is more revenue. And two, mm-hmm. we, we actually switched uh, networks from AdThrive to Ezoic. And that added... So, yeah, that's added a big a big chunk as well. And is this the type of thing that works across the board for other content sites? Can you can you add better email collection processes, add a better uh, ad network, and maybe even use the same ad network, and and get that kind of economy of scale? Yeah, I mean, there's always nuances. It's always going to depend on the business, but um, I would say probably 90% of the time you can do those things. It, it also depends if the, the person selling it is savvy at email marketing, they might have already done a lot of those things. But yeah, I mean, generally it's it's one of the tools in our box that we, we look to go but to. That is first. what you look for. What else do you look yeah, for? Yeah. What's another tool that you use? Um, it could be conversion rate optimization. So just if if there's a, a, like an affiliate review, often just adding comparison tables or rewriting some of the most important parts of the article can okay can have a significant impact also if it's a business that sells something directly so it's not making money from display ads or affiliate revenue there's a lot more you can do as well like you can change your pricing you can uh, you can you can also do discounts you can email people five times a week instead of once a week okay. um, yeah there's loads of stuff you can do all right. And then another thing that you do is you you will create the product for them. If they didn't have an info product, you might say, we can we know what to do to do it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, yeah, typically we, we, we're fans of Ryan Levesque's Ask Method. And um, basically that involves surveying your audience, figuring out what their pain, pain points are, and then releasing a solution. And quite a lot of the time we'll take over a site and we'll say, well, let's ask the audience what what their problems are kind of not sometimes really upfront like hey what's your biggest problem and other times you know more indirectly and then figuring out can we solve that and you know can we solve it in a way that works for us and works for them and if it does then yeah like that might be an info product or a community or something like that you know you know i love examples do you have an example of a way that you asked somebody on one of your properties and understood a new problem yeah we've got this one website in the uk which basically it goes out and it finds uh free stuff um so it's just like it it emails people hey uh this department store in the uk is giving away 250 bottles of wine uh, this week go sign up um and some of them pay us an affiliate commission. Some of them, we just include it because people want to know where the free stuff is. And we surveyed people and we were like, okay, how often are you signing up for deals? Um, 
what's your biggest pain point? And there were people that were signing up for like three or four deals a week. So we knew, okay, these guys are super, like they're hyper engaged, but they were all saying things like, well, half the time you get there and the offer's already expired or it's not really free because you need to pay shipping uh, or um, I have to answer a million survey questions. And basically we got the picture that it turns out online, half of the free things are actually a complete waste of time. And so I guess I don't know exactly what the solution is, but we're still thinking about it. So we're thinking, well, maybe we can pre-vet the deals better before we send them to people or, or um, you know, we can just make sure that we're communicating with people better so that they, they know, okay, if I click through this, I'm going to have to do a survey or something. Um, and yeah, you can get some really good insights from people just by asking them like, what, <laughs> what's your problem? I do see you also added a Facebook group here. There's an active mm -hmm. Facebook group about keeping fish where I see people are posting uh, messages to each other. They're asking questions. They've got photos of their fish tank, which I wouldn't have thought would be a thing, but I was into indoor cycling using Zwift. And I would love when people just post their setup. Let me see how you set up your indoor cycling Zwift situation in your pain cave, as they called it. And I get it. Um, that's, that's another thing that you add. Is there anything else that I'm missing by looking at this site internally? What am I not seeing that you do? I mean, we added info products as well. So, um, there's one, which is, it's kind of like the encyclopedia to tropical fish. So it's, it's got, uh, dozens of different types of fish, how to take care of them, what happens if they're getting sick. And then there's another one about how to do a proper water change. There's one about, um, breeding fish there's one about plants um people will pay we, for water yeah. change well water changing is one of the biggest reasons why people end up accidentally killing their fish and so we don't mm. charge a lot of money for the guide but it's like hey if you want to make sure you you do your water changes correctly yeah it's it's nine dollars i think um, you know what so, I went, yeah i went to uh semrush to get a sense of what what pages were doing well and just hunting around. And I saw that Semrush says your, your second most popular subdomain is pro.fishkeepingworld.com. You also added a membership or did you, is it up? Uh, yeah, it is, but I think we're going to be relaunching it because, uh, there was a bit of a mismatch there where people were interested in the, um, uh, they were interested in the one-off eBooks, but they weren't interested in a sort of paid community. I think maybe because the, the free Facebook community is pretty good. Mm. So yeah, it's, we're sending a lot of traffic to it, but it's not, I mean, I think it's not even up right now. It's like an Insta page, like coming. It is an page. Insta page. I went to Insta page <laughs> to see, I keep seeing Insta page lately on broken sites. It's where conversations happen. Customer. What is this Insta page? It's like a page builder. And so oh, okay. it, it's, it's a good landing page builder, kind of drag and drop. Um, Got it. And then, yeah, you host it on a subdomain. Like a click funnels or something or. Yeah, exactly. That exactly the same kind of thing. All right. Let me talk about my first sponsor and then come back in. My first sponsor is HostGator for hosting websites. Dumb. I thought all these WordPress sites, the blogs were, were struggling. You're making me realize there's potential here. If someone's listening to us and says, I want to start something from scratch, I'm going to go to HostGator, sign up for WordPress, get up and running, get my theme. 
how would they pop, pick a topic? If they, if they wanted to come to you or if they wanted to channel Dominic Wells, what would they do? Um, it's kind of a cliche, but people should really just focus on something that they understand. So I don't want to go out and say, follow your passion, but like, if you try and start a website on a topic that you just know nothing about, you're probably not going to have any way of differentiating. So you should, so I know a lot about inter- interviewing. Should I create a, a site on how to interview and just fill it up with content? Is that what you're talking about? I mean, I'd be interested in reading that. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's what you're saying. Pick a topic that you're passionate about. What else, what else do we need? Topic that I'm sensing is timeless. The problem with drones is the content doesn't age very well. Right. So what else should I be thinking about? Well, drones is an interesting one actually, because a lot of people, they think, well, I want to do drones. And so they, they just put up a kind of typical Amazon affiliate site where they just write articles like best drones under $300. And then, and then, they hope for the best. And I think that's not a good idea. But if you actually unpack drones, there's probably there's probably some sub-niches in there which would make a good topic site. So, so why do people use drones? There's probably some people who do like drone racing. There's people who do drone photography. Uh, maybe there's construction sites that use drones to help survey their buildings. Uh, right. You know, so if you actually then dug in and picked one of those demographics or uh, or, or a number of demographics and then started writing content for them, I think actually then that, that could be a good example. So it's the same, like loads of people are passionate about fitness. So should they go out and start a fitness site? Well, probably not because there's already like a million fitness sites. But if you can find something within fitness, um, like I think about a year ago, I was reading about this thing called Everesting, which became popular for cyclists yeah. where – you just go up and down a hill until you've done the the, the distance the of climbing Everest. Mount Everest. Yeah, yeah, and so you could build a site around that potentially, and then you can get into your passion without just being like, "I'm going to blog about fitness." Um, so I'd, I'd say that would be the next step. Like, try to figure out well, who do I want to talk to, or what thing? What can I talk specifically? about endlessly? Yeah. The beauty about the fish business that I'm seeing here is. Like you've got pages on, on just about every fish that I could have in, in my house. All right. You know what I would do when it comes to, um, when it comes to exercise, I would pick, pick the most like out there thing that maybe we did when we were kids and enjoyed, but it's not considered a physical fitness thing. And I would turn that into an extreme version of itself. Like a great example of it is jumping rope right? To jump rope, you get the same kind of exercise you do on a treadmill, except there's like, there's no, I would take that to an extreme. I would, I would maybe even start inventing my own counter so you could see how much it's doing. Maybe even like the Apple watch could do that because it's just the same movement over and over. But I would start with nothing but how to do it. And then I would move into how to do the tricks and then I would move into fitness programs. Then I would let you download. Then I would move into extreme thing, which is like, let's see if we can get people to go, or maybe I would do it myself 24 hours. Why do I see your eye, your, your gears are spinning. You like this idea, don't you? <laughs> I like it, but I'm also wondering how long you've spent thinking about it. <laughs> like whether, literally, whether you literally, literally just right now, but you know what's happening to me in every one of these HostGator ads, I feel like I'm on the spot because I got to come up with a freaking business idea right here. 
And I, I'm just like riffing. And some of these ideas, they get me, they make me feel like I should be doing it. Like I was talking yeah. to one guy, I said to him, one of my guests, I said, what would you create? You've seen a lot of different products. He says, Andrew, I'm in shipping. Here's what I understand when it comes to e-commerce. You shouldn't have a big package. You should look for small package, high value. And I said, oh, you mean like uh, spices? And I go, now on the spot, I'm coming up with an answer for him. He goes, yes, why hadn't anyone done that? Like, think about it. McCormick has the whole spice world like wrapped up. They're not a lot of specialty spices, but how many times do people have McCormick? If you're ethnic and you know what turmeric is supposed to t- smell like or taste like, or what, oh, your, your gears are spinning. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm blowing your mind here. I'm coming up with this stuff on the fly and I'm not the type of person. I'm not the type of entrepreneur who used to come up with ideas all the time, but HostGator has helped me do it. Why, what are you thinking? Where, where's your head going with this? Talk to me. Uh... I was just thinking about how many McCormick spices I've got in my kitchen right now. I, I um, do too. They're all junk. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> all right. Listen to me, people. Whether it's that idea or any of the other ideas that I riffed on, or frankly, maybe you just say to yourself, I'm going to come up with my own ideas and just rip them. All you have to do is go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. They will make it super easy for you to get your ideas up and running. Sometimes you just try it and you love it. Sometimes you try and you realize that's the stupidest idea I ever took, I ever had. Great. They make it easy to spin it up, easy to spin it down, easy to move it away if you don't like HostGator. But if you do, you could be like me. You stick with them for a long, long time. I've been with them now for years, and I'm very happy with them. I'm going to give you a URL where you can get the best price that they have available. And I know it's the best price because I said it in the past, and someone called me out and said, Andrew, I found a lower price from HostGator here. So I confronted, I I emailed HostGator. They said, all right, we'll give you an even lower price. So they changed it. Here it is, the lowest price, and more importantly, the best way to get started. Go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. That's the way to do it. We got to check out this price. And frankly, my audience will tell me, and I don't even understand why they would even care. Why would somebody email me and say, Andrew, I found a two cents cheaper somewhere else, but I'm glad that they do. I want to be honest. Oh yeah, that is a good price. Right. And then here's the thing. People will then email me and say, it's because what they have is the lowest. When you have a big amount of traffic, you're going to want this. People, they have all of that. Whatever it is that the competition has, they have, and they'll keep a lower price because they, frankly, they bought the competition. All right, I'm going to go like all upset about that. <sighs> I feel like there's some nerds who just love talking about hosting packages and they should really just focus on their business. And I understand that the right hosting package will speed up your site, which will then make it easier for you to grow your business. I get it. Let's not obsess. Let's just understand and move on. All right. Last time you and I talked, you were doing this thing that was working. Was it working or or, or not? Yeah, it was working. Um, it was working for me as the seller of these done for you businesses, and it was working for the customers who were buying them. Obviously, you know, there's no guarantee. Some customers will buy a business, never do anything with it. Others will do something with it, and some people were growing the businesses and, and flipping them. Um, yeah, it, it was working well, and it still does work well. I, so I sold that business uh, probably six months after our last interview. Um, so why did uh, you then, stick with it? Why did you decide that you wanted to try something new? Um, I already wanted to try something new. And I'd already started on Folio last time we spoke. And I I realized it was more aligned with what I wanted to do and where I could add value. Um, and so then it was like, okay, should I run the two businesses or should I hand Human Proof Designs over to someone new? And I kind of came to the conclusion that I was going to get in its way if I just, you know, like didn't care about it, but stayed running it. 
and it was going to get in my way because I wanted to go all in on Folio. So I thought, okay, if I can sell it, all the team members get to keep their jobs. You know, I sell it to a set to a buyer who has great plans for growing it and, and all of these, you know, awesome things. And then I can keep doing on Folio. That seems like uh, a kind of win for everybody. And, you know, fortunately I found a buyer who was cool with me continuing on Folio and uh, had big plans for human proof designs. And um, I think it was the right decision because both brands have grown since, since that decision. So I can see it. Here's what I feel like you were going through at the time you were in a business where you weren't, you couldn't grow it where it was create and sell, create and sell, create and sell, right? And unlike creating spices where eventually there's a factory that can create the spices for you, it was it was constantly having to invent a new business where I sense what you were looking for was how do, how do I build something that grows, right? How do, and what do you, yeah. will you tell me? I mean, it was a mixture of things. Um, there definitely was that element of, okay, we've got to keep building these new businesses and we, we couldn't just sell the same one over and over again. Um, and some members of the human proof design audience said, Hey, I've actually got a bigger budget. I, I want to buy a business for like 50 K off somewhere like empire flippers or FE international, but I don't know how do I tell which ones are good once I buy it, how do I actually take control of it? How do I run it? Um, and I realized that I could add a lot more value there than I could selling done for you businesses that kind of, you know, any other, any other person could create. Um, and I also, that's what I was doing. I was buying businesses myself and growing them. So I was, I was excited about that thing. So I was like, well, I want to do more of this. How can I do more of this? I can do it by working with investors. Um, And so it just, I don't know, maybe I had outgrown my own audience because I was ready to do, in my mind, like bigger things. And so I wanted to work with people who also were doing bigger things um, rather than just sort of stagnating. So then you started to buy businesses, improve them, and then... Was it as an advisor you were doing it for others or was it something different? Um, yeah, like a, a consultant or an advisor, they, they pay Got us it. a fee to manage the websites. Got it. Okay. And so that's what you were doing. Why did you decide to switch away from that? Um, so we had a pretty good track record. We, when we were running something like 45 businesses and whenever a Google update came, you know, maybe one or two of those businesses would get hit, lose its revenue. Five or 10 of them would get a boost and the other 30 or so would, you know, they'd be fine. So when and they were all owned object, by your clients, these businesses, right? Yeah. Like a handful were our, our own, but they okay. were all owned by individual clients. And okay. so when you look at those numbers objectively, you're like, Oh, that's pretty good. Like only one or two sites gets hit, but it sucks if you're the owner of that you know, that one or two sites. Um, so I was, I was always thinking, is there a way that instead of owning all these individual pies, people can own a smaller share of the same fry, uh, pie. So if everyone, if everyone owns a, like a 45th of all of the businesses, um, one of them gets hit, 
you don't really care because another one's gone up. Um, I mean, of course you care, but it doesn't ruin you. And so that was what I was always kind of like musing about in my, in my free time. And so it was, okay, can I, should we start a fund or should we, um, should we even stop working with clients and just focus on building sites for ourselves, which is more lucrative. Um, And I, stumbled across the kind of holding company model that you know the conglomerate holding company model that companies like Berkshire Hathaway do or um uh constellation software is probably more more relevant to our space and and I liked that idea because I thought okay now we can manage all the businesses centrally still but each one is uh not standalone and 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 investors can it's it's not going to appeal maybe to all the same investors because when someone owns a site 100 themselves and just hires us they can fire us or they can you know they can decide when to sell whereas what we're doing now it's a lot more of a passive investment so some investors are just like yeah i don't like your new model i'm out and you know fair enough but i think overall it'll allow us to build something a lot more significant while significantly reducing the risk as well. Did you raise money immediately to do that? Uh, Yeah, fairly quickly. I mean, not immediately, but um, I guess I came up with the idea about a year ago. So April, 2020. And when we actually started raising was, October 2020. So it took a few months to get all our ducks in a row and uh, get the. We had to file Form D with the SEC to say, "Hey, we we're going to raise money and, and Wait, get but lawyers just, to draft stuff up." Why didn't you go to angels first, or did you? Um, I already had an email list. I already had investors I was working with. Um, angels or something like we funder would have been a good option if, if I didn't already have my own audience. Well, so, but, no, but you did go to yeah. your, you went to your people, you raised money from them first, right? And then yeah, exactly, money. Yeah. got it. Okay. You go to your mailing list to raise. I thought you just went to your, to your network. Well, it was the same thing. Like I, I basically, I, we couldn't really just blast out an email um to everyone without you know what we had to stay compliant and so the first raise we did was private so it's just like people we already had a relationship with but i basically looked at my client list and my email list and was like two or three hundred people that i sort of hand-picked i guess and was like yeah that person might be interested this person likes what we're doing so i just manually emailed everybody and i got a lot of no's Mm. but also you know got enough yeses what size checks what's the smallest what's the highest Uh, the highest was 200k which is you know, pretty pretty nice investment yeah. um, and the smallest was 5k 10k that kind of size okay all right and so then you had it you're ready to go out did you put your current businesses into it the ones that you had at the time into this fund you did yeah exactly so okay. current businesses plus like the management fees from the the ones we were running ah got it all um, right so now you're up and running and you start buying these businesses let's take a look at one other one I'm really intrigued by Mighty Deals. It's mm-hmm. mightydeals.com. You bought them. What this looks like is, it seems like it's almost like what Groupon wanted to do, which is get huge deals, limited time opportunity, but it's all for digital products for artists. Am I right about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think historically there's been a couple of physical products, but yeah, it's basically designers, like web designers, graphic designers, artists. Um, like we we sell a lot of font bundles uh, and and things like that. Um, yeah, Groupon's a one way of looking at it. I I, I just tell people it's kind of like AppSumo, but rather than for apps, it's for like design bundles and stuff. That is actually the first thing that came to mind when I saw it. The AppSumo model for to, it feels like it's largely for artists, but I guess it's also for other for other customers too. Yeah, so that, quite a lot of crafters as well, like people that design stuff and then print it out on their crafting machine and Etsy sellers, that kind of stuff. It's a great freaking model, right? Because there are people who have it. They have a certain price that they need to sell their stuff for. But um, if if they could reduce it and sell large quantities, they'd be all in without hurting their major, their their uh, relationships with their existing customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually had one seller who, again, this was before we bought the business, but one of the first things we did when we took it over was jumped on a call with her. And she she has a, a font called the Samantha font. Mm-hmm. And her name is Laura though. But anyway, so the font's called Samantha font. And the previous owners were like, hey, you should sell this font on our on our platform. And she was like, but uh, I sell it for like, I don't know, $80 or something. Why would I want to sell it on your platform for seven? Yep. Uh, but then someone said to her, no, I've had good results like, with Mighty Deals. You should, you should give it a try. And uh, she was making, you know, I guess it's not my place to say, but she was making pretty big money within like immediately after it went live. And um, uh, she was like, for three years now, she's been probably making, I don't know, six figures from just from sales on, on Mighty Deals. And she basically said Mighty Deals is the reason that font is successful. So um, it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way. You think, I don't want to give away my my work for pennies on the dollar, but it turns out it's going to be a lot of pennies. So, you know, it, it, it adds up. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And it's not like she's reaching her customers, probably a small percentage of them are her customers. The rest are brand new people. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. That was one of the first things I asked her as well. And I was like, are you sending customers to us or are we sending them to you? And very much the latter. Um, all right. I'm going to do a quick run for a quick ad for my second sponsor. And then I'd like to come back and learn from you if I wanted to do this. I mean, personally. How would I do this? What advice would you give me? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Start to finish. All right. Second sponsor is a company called Send In Blue. Do you know them, Dominic? Be open. No, I've not heard of them until 10 seconds ago. Yeah, because they're huge in Europe. And now they're coming to the US, North America, specifically Canada too. Here's, here's the thing. We're used to companies starting out here in the US and then going over to Europe kind of like you've graduated, you saturated the market here, now go there. And so we don't pay attention to what's coming in from Europe. And I think we should. And one of the big things that we should look at when it comes to Europe is they have got their privacy issues dialed in, right? Because the law is so restrictive over there, what you do with your customer's data. They started there. And so they've got that. The other thing is they've got to be scrappier. They've got to be hungrier. They've got to be much more practical. And so what Send in Blue does that, un, that other email marketing companies that you know and I know don't do is this. Number one, they give a very generous free version. Number two, 
They don't scale up like crazy people. How many of these email marketing companies you see, they start out really small and then they scale up to crazy and you're stuck with them. You can't get out. Well, they say, you know, it actually doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to do it. We can go lower because it doesn't cost that much money to send out email. Number three, along the same lines, is a lot of email marketing companies will say, we're going to charge you for every email address in your database, in our database. The problem with that is a lot of the email addresses that I have in my database are people who bought from me 10 years ago that I'm not emailing anymore, that they've actually opted out one way or the other. They've signaled that they don't want to be emailed. I'm not emailing them, but I need them in my email marketing software because I want to know if they ever reactivate what they bought from me. I want my customer service people to be able to see that they used to click these ads. I want to see the whole interaction. So I keep them in. The problem there is most email software will say, then you have to pay for that. Now I can go on and on and on about all the ways that things are done right now that stink, but that's the way it works. And people don't suffer until they're in like year one or year two, like at the end of year one, at the end of year two. And then they say, well, we're trapped and we're stuck. The beauty of Send in Blue is they're going to start fresh here and they're going to start fresh with you. And if you want to go try them out for free right now and see, check their pricing. You could see what they scale up to. Go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. That's how you get it for free. Sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And really go compare them. Go see reviews. Go see how the most aggressive critics have handled and understood them. And you'll see that they are, they're fantastic. All right. Now I now got them on your radar. Yes. Ask me. <laughs> so uh, the more emails you have, Yes. It doesn't, I mean, as an email addresses, it doesn't, the, the price doesn't go doesn't, up. Interesting. So you see that, right? Price? It's based on, they're, they're saying, are you even emailing them? If you're emailing them, then we'll charge you based on that. And even then we're not going to email you crazy amounts. But if you uh, think about okay. it, Dom, how many email systems, what they do is they charge you a lot for what? A record in a freaking database that costs nothing to store. Why are they charging you? Because they know they got you. Because they know that if you remove that, that record, then you've lost the permission to email the person. If you remove that record, if the person buys in the future, you've lost your past connection with them, which means that you've now mistreated future customers. They know they got you. It doesn't cost. That, I'm going to go look up. This is where I go crazy. Let me see. Mail. This is the end of the ad. They're never going to pay me to talk about MailChimp. But look, I'm going to go to MailChimp prices. And I could do the same thing for so many other email marketing companies. And if you take a look, what you see is that they charge you for records in their freaking database. And it's sub substantial. Oh, they're doing the starting ad. So I can't even figure out how much it costs. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing there is there's a lot of I'm in a lot of Facebook groups for marketers and stuff, and there's a lot of people who, you know, they're they're not making like 10k a month or 100k a month or something, and so they're quite price sensitive, and they they have this dilemma where they're like, hey, I've got 10,000 people in my email list, I'm about to go on to the next pricing tier. Uh, 500 of those people on my email list, I'm just going to remove them to to stay right. in the lower tier. Right, because they haven't opened an email for six months. But right. the thing is, when when you've had a business for ten years, like you have, or however long I've had mine, people do randomly come back, like after yeah. eighteen months, and then suddenly they're super engaged. And so it, it is, it is a shame to remove them. But at the same time, you're like, well, if I'm paying for them, what's the point? And so, um, that's kind of an interesting, yeah, that, that's an interesting angle. So I, that's that's kind of cool. I've, I've definitely got some businesses that 
I'm going to be emailing them about and seeing if it for, for storage, and I get it. I get it. They're not charging based on what it costs them. They're charging based on what it's worth to you. The problem is later on in a business, it's worth a lot to me to maintain that. And people, like you said, they do. If I think about me, I've been talking about Arizmendi, the, the, the bakery here in San Francisco, where they make one type of pizza every single day. And once they're out of it, once they're sold to that one type, that's it. And if you don't like the, the toppings, that's it. You got to take it, right? There was a year I decided I wasn't going to have as many carbs. Let's see what happens to my weight. Nothing happened to my weight. Nothing happened to my health. I went back to them. As soon as I went back, dude, hand to God, they said, hey, Andrew, like immediately. Now I'm back home. So now I'm bringing my kids back so we could get a slice of pizza whenever we want it. This is, this is what we're talking about. With all these email companies, they make you delete your addresses. They say, well, they're not, re- they're not getting email from you. You might as well delete it. Well, no, they're not getting email today. They might in the future. All right, I got the prices. Here we go. Look, MailChimp, 10,000 contacts cost $299 a month. I'm using their slider. Let's just slide the slider up a little bit to 15,000 contacts, 370. Now it's contacts. It's contacts. It's not, it's not. And then it just goes up and up and up from there. All right. I'm going mental from this. Let's let's talk about something more more valuable than this, than like getting upset about prices. <laughs> oh, email marketing, really? I, I, for your businesses, other than people, what's what's the most what's the most expensive software you pay for? Probably email and yeah. and probably Ahrefs as well. Right. But, but you can keep using that for multiple sites, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, they don't like us calling them Ahrefs. They were a sponsor. I couldn't get them good results. I like them. I think, I, I think actually if they looked at the numbers, they'd see that they were happy. They weren't going to look at the numbers anyway, but they don't like being called Ahrefs. They like being called Ahrefs, but then no one's going to type in the A in front of the Ahrefs. What's, what's the deal? They also kind of make this thing about where they ask everybody, how do you pronounce it? And then they never tell you Right. how you're supposed to pronounce it. So for me, I was like, well, I get it because it's like HREFs is a thing and then you've added an A and the logo, the A is a different color. So, yeah. so I thought like, I was supposed say to. RFs, I'm like, no, it's not RFs. It's clearly a HREFs, but interesting. But I, I will say this. I have no problem with a with HREFs. I think they're worth it or HREFs. I think they're great. The fact that I that they didn't look at my data doesn't really upset me because they took care of my customers. They took care of me. It's good. Um, they're good software. But um, I'm just, but I do think that it's kind of weird that we can't say Ahrefs, it's Ahrefs. Um, all right, let's come back to me. Based on everything that you learned, um, if, I, if I were to do this, does this make sense? Should Andrew Warner be buying companies and, and improving them, buying sites? Let's not make it so dramatic like a big company. Uh, yeah, I mean, it- it also depends. Like, do you want to do it sort of agnostically of Mixergy or do you want to buy stuff that's like, no, like you were I talking about the beginning? To be connected. Yeah. So you, you may, maybe you don't even need to improve them. You know, maybe you just need to buy them and accumulate audiences. And so, Hey, maybe you buy a business about, well, about business and, and then you can send the traffic to Mixergy. Um, and yeah, if you improve it, yeah, you get better ROI, but if you don't improve it, it's still solid because First of all, you probably bought it at a price that um, you still get like 20 to 30% ROI anyway. Just from sending uh, my own audience into them. Oh, no, you're saying in, in, uh, the return on investment as it is is probably 20%. That's what it is, huh? Right, five times earnings. Right. Well, no, not even five times. It's like, I mean, the current market's pretty frothy, but 
historically it's been like three to four times. So you're looking at 25 to 30% ROI. And then if you grow it, 40%, 50%. But I, I think with you, you could just almost, uh, there's a lot of room for a strategic acquisition. Um, you know, you look at like say HubSpot or um, The Hustle, and I'm, I'm sure they want to grow The Hustle, but if they don't, they're like, well, that's okay because we've just bought a massive audience full of potential HubSpot customers. And so there's there's a lot of reasons why I think that's a good idea. All right. When you do this, how do you think about doing it? Do you go to, it seems like you go to a broker. I've got in, in my notes, Ace Chapman, I guess, is a connection of yours, right? Is that who you use? Is there, uh, so I see you with Empire Flippers a bunch. Where do you, where do you go? What do you think about, yeah, where do you go? Uh, yeah, so there's a mixture of things. We go to Empire Flippers, we go to FE International. Um, we basically go where the businesses are. And so Micro Acquire is one that's getting a lot of um, a lot of attention right now. And we've, we haven't bought one off there yet, but we definitely see a lot of businesses we like there. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Micro Acquire? Their model is instead of taking a percentage, they're going to have a marketplace where anyone could list their, their business and they yeah. charge buyers a monthly fee to look at all these businesses in the platform. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you think? Is it good stuff on there? Have you, you, it seems like you're starting to find some good opportunities. There. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming, the quality is increasing. Um, and it was mostly SaaS, whereas now there's a lot of e-commerce. In fact, I think I got an email from um, Andrew on Monday saying, e-commerce businesses for sale. So he's even started segmenting now like the the businesses that he emails about. Um, I think it's good. Yeah, I, I mean, there's this kind of, there's this debate going around where he's saying, well, sellers can get a better price because they're not having to pay a commission. But then brokers are saying, well, we kind of bake the commission into the price. So we'll get you a higher price in spite of the commission. And um, I think they're both right. <laughs> so it really depends on the seller. Like I think a sophisticated seller probably doesn't need a broker, but uh, a novice seller may need a broker. And we, we've definitely had conversation with with sellers on MicroAcquire where they they had no idea what their business was worth, um, and usually they overvalued it, and it made it harder for us to get a deal done. Um, and they have, I, I kind of feel like a lot of sellers get other brokers messaging them and sort of saying, Hey, I can get you like 10 X for your business. And you just have to sign this exclusivity agreement for six months. And then, you know, five months later, they'll be like, okay, I can't get you 10 X, but I can get you three X. So I think there's potential for some sellers to be taken advantage of, but at the same time, um, you know, I think there's a place for, for like a kind of self-serve marketplace where people don't, have to um, pay a commission to a broker. Why, I why think didn't it's Flippa not, become yeah. that? Flippa started out that way. Um, I, I can't tell you why. Because, I mean, I don't know. But I mean, um, I think Flippa was kind of more like the eBay model, I guess. And they were just like, hey, we're a marketplace. We take a, we take a small percentage. And I think really Flippa pivoted quite early on to be focusing more on buyers than sellers so they were like you know we need to onboard way more buyers and sellers you're kind of like um 
do you know just whatever you're, you're on your own whereas i think micro acquire even though they make their money from buyers they i think their biggest thing is trying to get sellers to come to the platform and so maybe they just are catering to the different side of the coin um mm. okay so i would go on yeah. there and you're saying look for something that fits well within the mixergy world right it seems like that would be the best way to go yeah for you yeah i mean somebody else maybe they should just get something which appeals to them but i think if you have a business already then strategic acquisition makes sense or if anyone else is doing this to say what's similar enough what could use my expertise like for you it's we could add some more marketing to the site or so or capture more email addresses we can add more product um to sell directly to the to the audience right yeah exactly okay all right um how do you look at these businesses what is it that you're that that you look for do you talk to their customers do you what do you do for due diligence I mean, the first thing we try and do is figure out reasons not to buy it. Um, I think it's really easy otherwise to get excited about the opportunities and then sort of downplay some of the risks because you're like, oh, it's got some risks, but whatever, like I'm really excited um, and maybe even not notice some of the risks. So I think what we do is the first thing we do is look at the risks and say, if we buy this business, will it? you know, will it go to zero or will it, you know, will it take a hit in the next Google update or whatever? And if it passes that test, then we look at growth and say, okay, so, you know, maybe now we've got three businesses that we feel comfortable owning, but which one has the best opportunity? And that growth could be, uh, yeah, can we plug it into an, an already existing business that we have? Like, you know, is there audience overlap or um, a lot of sellers only really have single channel competency so they might be really good at content but not good at email marketing or they might be they might be good at paid traffic but they're not good at seo or it might be the other way around and so a lot of the time we can just say oh this business is great but they're not doing like xyz thing so we can just do that um but it fundamentally comes down to if we try and do all these growth things and they all fail miserably is it still an okay business to own because you know, I think a lot of mistakes first-time buyers make is they kind of rationalize buying it. So it's like, okay, well, the seller wants like double what it's worth, but if I can double the business, then it's, you know, it's a good deal. And then when they inevitably don't double the business, they, they regret spending that much. And so it's, it's more like if you fail to grow this by $1, are you still happy? And if you paid like a good price, then you're still happy. And if it's a you know it's a stable business that's going to pay you money for years, then obviously that that's the main thing as well. What's the best channel if you're buying a business? Is it email marketing? Um, yeah, I mean we love emails, uh, especially large email lists. That it's kind of this thing where you see people are like, oh, I've got a huge email list and it's never been emailed, <laughs> and you're like that sounds like an opportunity, but also it's like, well, do you have a good email list at all? Like maybe I email everybody and nobody opens it. Right. So we want to see an engaged email list that has opportunity to either email more or serve them better or something like that. Do you have a checklist um, that you're going through? Or are you just doing this on, on gut instinct and experience? Kind of both. Like we have a checklist, but it, there's always nuances. So we, we go through it. It's, it's largely experience. Uh, and I have a guy on my team who's, 
really cynical. <laughs> so if, if a business passes his tests, it's like, okay, sweet. Um, like it must be a good one. So I think it's really important to take a kind of bearish outlook on every business because then if you find one where you're like, you know, I can't think of any reason not to buy this, then it's probably a good business. I keep looking at mighty deals. I really like this whole model. I like how one of the things you have on the site is the free page. I looked at, again, I, I use SEMrush. Um, when I went to SEMrush to see what the top pages were, it's that free deals page that was big, which tells me also that that's a good way to get new customers, right? Because Or new new email subscribers. They come in, they see the free deal. Where'd you get that? Yeah, uh, exactly. Where'd you get that site? That one was private, actually. So the other, the other way, I mean, you know, people hear me on podcasts or they just know about me because I'm in the space. So people come to me privately. And so this was a broker who just reached out to me like, hey, I've got this business. Uh, are you interested? And we looked at it and we were like, yeah, we are. Um, so that was that was kind of cool. It was, it was like hand delivered to us. Um, and... Yeah, I, I like it. It's it's got a lot going for it. There's a, a lot of we, you know we've only we only kind of finished acquiring it about two months ago, so we haven't really done anything, done anything. with it yet. Um, but we've got a lot of ideas and a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of things that we're going to try and we'll probably fail, <laughs> but one or two of them should succeed. So I noticed that we haven't talked about software companies. You don't buy software. You tend to buy these kind of content sites, right? Yeah, I mean, we're not against software. We we'll probably move into that space in the future, but we, you know, you got to you got to focus on your 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 wheelhouse and your strengths. And I've always been a content guy, and so my team are content people. Um, but SaaS businesses, software businesses, do have a lot of of great things that make them very very good acquisitions. And so we, you know, we. It's not really through choice that we don't buy them. We just uh, we're better at other other things. What about membership sites? With uh, I mean, do you buy yeah um, recurring revenue? Yeah, I like to think of it as we buy recurring revenue and we buy audiences. Um, and so, Onfolio kind of has this like multi-year plan, like any you know, any business should. Um, mm -hmm. And sort of phase one is just like accumulate audiences. Um, so, so we're not really thinking of these businesses necessarily as standalone businesses. We're thinking of them as, well, what are the audiences? So Mighty Deals is great, but Mighty Deals also has a big audience of designers and um, uh, crafters and web developers. So when we're doing future deal flow, maybe we see something that has the same audience. Mm. So we'll we'll view them as not separate businesses. They'll be like traffic assets in the same yeah. the same bigger picture like a content site that specifically targets um uh designers exactly yeah by the way one of the top sites on mighty deals is this possible transaction error site i guess it's so popular because paypal must be get, kicking off so many errors that people end up on the site it says it appears that your transaction was not successful however sometimes there may just be a slight delay on paypal's part please check your email and spam folder Wow, you guys are using just PayPal on that side, or is it other? Uh, is it Stripe also? Yeah, we got PayPal and Stripe. PayPal, okay. you know, PayPal's kind of infamous for its uh, integration issues, and this this site's not a WordPress site. It's um, it's built in Symfony, and so it's so it's like a PHP based language, and um, mm. 
it just makes it a little bit harder to change things. So, we, I mean, we've actually got a developer working on things like the PayPal integration right now. Um, it's kind of why we haven't implemented a lot of our other marketing ideas yet. Yeah, if you saw me heads down, it's because I was looking at Built With to get a sense of what is it that they're building that site with? And I was thinking you might've used something like WordPress somehow, but no, that's not what it is. All right. Finally, if I decide I want to invest in, I, am I even allowed to talk about the fact that you're that you're going to be publicly listed? I'm allowed to ask yeah. whatever the hell I want. I I don't know if I'm allowed yeah. to buy into it, but I should. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, so right now we've got we're raising money through preferred shares right now, and that we we can talk about that publicly. We've we filed the necessary paperwork with the SEC and everything. Um, so, we have a website, investinonfolio.com. Um, and basically the preferred shares come with a 12% dividend. Um, so the idea is we we raise money, we pay people out a 12% dividend, we take that money, we buy businesses, and those businesses pay us more than 12%. So it's like that's how we can afford to pay 12% to investors. And then when we're publicly traded, people will also be able to buy our common shares, which is more of a typical, you know, the, the common shares don't come with a dividend, but, but they should. The preferred share, no, it doesn't convert. No. So, so it's, it's going to continue it's to get for, the dividend. Yeah, it's just for income investors, really. Like, you know, maybe someone wants to just get more than they're getting in their bank account um, and just continue to pay the dividend for at least five years. After five years, we have the option to buy it back because we'll probably have access to cheaper capital by then. But we're committing to five years because we don't want to. We don't want to offer people twelve percent now, and then, like in a year, a bank's like, "Well, we'll give you seven percent," and then we just turn around and stop paying everyone twelve percent. So we're saying, after five years, yeah, we can buy back your shares and stop paying you the twelve percent dividend, but we're not going to do it before that. But people can make sense people can exit their shares by themselves though if they want to you know like they can sell to somebody else on the exchange i can't believe you can't get money for cheaper than that or for or more patient money than that um you know it's one of the downsides of being small but as we get bigger and as we complete the public listing like yeah we'll we won't need to offer 12 percent. it's it's very it's a very good offer right now but it's because to a lot of people we still have that risk because we're an online business and we're not yet public and so on. All right. I'm on the site right now. Shares preferred uh, Series A stock at $12, $12 USD. All right. And this is from Dealmaker. I don't know Dealmaker is the company that you're using to power this, right? Yeah, they're a Canadian platform. Um, so what Dealmaker does is they're, they're just like the back end. So people can go through the process. They, yeah. they answer the investor questionnaire and everything. And then Dealmaker just facilitates all that. All right. You've come a long way. I'm glad that I've asked you all these questions and found out about what you're up to. I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking after you go public. What I'm noticing lately is I used to think I don't want to talk to any publicly traded founders because uh, founders of publicly traded companies because they clam up. They can't say anything because everything is just so restricted. Lately, it seems like even when people go public, they could talk about just about anything except for the future earnings, which is fantastic, which means that you and I mm -hmm. are going to get to keep doing these interviews. Yeah, I think I think the rule is basically if you talk about something once you're public, you know, you kind of have to tell everybody. So it's like 
um, I can't tell one person something because then they'll get an advantage and it's insider trading and all that bad stuff. But like, it's like, if you're talking about it publicly on an interview, then that's okay. As long as, you know, like everybody's aware of it and stuff. I think also that uh, CEOs of publicly traded companies used to be more cautious just for the sake of being cautious because they didn't know what they could blurt out accidentally. They didn't know who I was. The whole thing was much more fraught. Lately, you see CEOs of publicly traded companies going on and chatting because CEOs have become kind of celebrities. There's more openness to it. And frankly, we've also learned that it's not you can't say anything. It's just you can't say certain things. And those things you can have enough discipline to stay away from. All right. For anyone who wants to go check you out, it's onfolio.com. And what's that site that led me to this dealmaker page? It's investinonfolio.com, right? Yeah. Well, on, our homepage is onfolio.co, not .com. Oh, okay. Onfolio.co or investinonfolio.com, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Next one. Good. And you've taught me a lot, but I've, I've taught you something very important. And that is that if you want to not have to pay for every email address in your in your database, even the ones that you're not emailing, then what you need is send in blue. Everyone out there, including you, I would love it if you use my URL when you use them, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, where you get to use them for free. And frankly, you'll come in as a Mixergy customer, which means that I'll get credit and they're going to love you extra hard. And HostGator, thank you. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Dom, good morning. Thanks for getting up this early to do this interview with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Thanks. Bye, everyone.